couple of couple of quick things is before we turn to the word this morning, and one is just a word of uh, thanks for all of those who uh, labored to put on the Thanksgiving dinner the other night. I know they had a they had a whole crew, a couple of crews, and uh, appreciate that. And the hundreds who came out, I think there were two hundred and thirty people or something that they served. So. Uh, Good time was had by all. They even protected the, the leftovers and provided them for people in the church who have need. And so uh, even, the, even the scraps that we didn't eat uh, were put to good use. So thank you. Second thing that uh, I wanted to uh, point out is in your bulletin in the middle of the center page, it says new building brainstorming sessions. Um, we have hired an architect, and he's done some surveys, and they've taken that survey information, and now what they want to do is meet with some different groups in the church and talk about um, what, as we dream, what is it we think we'll need in the new building as we look to do ministry. And the new building will probably, the new site will probably be phased. There'll probably be a phase one that we get into, and then you build uh, administration and, and, uh, and worship space, but we'll... You know, we have to look at all of that, and what is it that we need? And so you guys, we know that the church is, is not this building, it's you, and it's, we, it's you who make use of it in ministry. So we want to invite you to these sessions. If you look on that list and you say, I have an interest in uh, the, the new fellowship hall or the kitchen facilities or the way that we do uh, recreation and uh, all of those kind of things, and it tells you when to come, right? You come this Thursday, 530 to 630. That first one on administration, that's staff. The staff, I haven't told you yet, Thursday, 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock. Um, you know, but if you go down there, if you're involved in adult ministries, you lead a, you know, a small group or Sunday school or really any adult ministries or prime timers, or pre, you see the different places, this is your chance. You know, on the other end of this, we're going to say you had your chance. And here it is, my friends. So come with us, help us to brainstorm and dream and to think about what, uh, what the Lord is doing. That in mind, let us turn our hearts to God's word, the joy of giving or joyful giving. Uh, This is a time as we are finalizing our budget process and and looking at a new year and what God is doing and what God will do. We talk about the resources God has given us. And this morning, I want to talk about the joy that is involved in these things. But we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Here then reading of God's word. Paul says, the point is this. Let me sum up. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, but not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning to give our hearts to you in worship, to be renewed by your spirit, to sit under the teaching of your word that you might speak into our lives and do more than inform us. You might transform us into what we read and what we hear, that we might be more like you, that we might grow and mature and deepen and strengthen and be filled and overflow to the glory of our great and giving God. And so, Father, this morning we invite you to come. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans chapter 14, 
verse 17. It's there in your bulletin. Paul writes, God says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of some of these things that we fight about and say, you know, the kingdom of God is not a matter of, but of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Right, and he's speaking of the true nature of God's kingdom, right? He's talking about what God's kingdom is supposed to be like, and it's not about fighting about the petty rules that sometimes we get caught up in, you know, eat this, don't eat that, drink this, don't drink that, you know, this day, that day, and, you know, Paul talks about that in Colossians and how he says you get bogged down in these things. And he says, but the kingdom of God is about something more in the lives of his people. The true nature of the kingdom is, is a kingdom that comes within God's people by the power of his spirit in joy and righteousness and peace in all that we are called to do and to be in Christ. Where the messianic reign of Jesus has come, there is righteousness. Growing in a righteous life before God. Where, where the messianic reign of Jesus has come, where the kingdom of God has come into the lives of his people, he says there is peace and there is joy, the fruits of his spirit. Joy abounds. And he says it's not just any joy, it's joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Some would say love is the only fruit of the Spirit. The others are just explaining what exactly is contained in love, which is joy in peace and patience and kindness. But the fruit of the Spirit in the first and the front end, he says, is joy in the Holy Spirit. It's what he does in the lives of his people. A joy, the joy that is about God's presence. It's a joy of our salvation, right? It's not about circumstances. It's not about this. It's a joy that we can know and experience despite our circumstances. A peace that passes understanding that leads to a joy that passes understanding because it's grounded in eternal things. What Christ has done, what Christ has promised, that Christ will come again. And all these things are are summed up in Christ. And this is the foundation that we live on, joy. In the Holy Spirit, the disciples were filled, Acts 13, with joy and with the Holy Spirit, right? These two go together. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Where Christ reigns, joy reigns. Nehemiah tells us it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. The joy of our salvation, the joy that is the first fruit of the Spirit that flows from the love that he has for us and that he implants in us for others. Joy is at the heart of love and joy is our strength. He says the joy of the Lord, the joy that comes from knowing him and loving him, not just in time but in eternity. This is our strength. It is is what powers the engine of the Christian life. I think it's what Paul is saying in this passage, which is why I start here, that he says, but joy of the Lord is our strength. It is the power in the engine of the Christian life, like gas powers and runs your car or electricity runs and powers your TV. The joy of the Lord is our strength and provides what we need to live the life that he calls us to live. It motivates and empowers us to respond to the life that God calls us to in the ways that he wants us to. Joy is the fuel of Christian living. Whatever God calls us to do is joy. 
and the strength that flows from it enables and empowers, motivates us to to live that Christian life which is rich and abundant. God loves a cheerful giver, a joyful giver. He loves it when abundance and generosity flow from a heart of joy. He loves it when it comes out of that particular kind of heart, when it flows from his people. Right? And he gives this great picture of points to the natural law of sowing and reaping in verse 8. Right? He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And Paul says the point is this. Right? That's how he starts it out. This is the point. Let me give you a picture. Let me give you a metaphor. Let me kind of paint it for you. You know, in a, in a familiar metaphor that everybody would understand and get. Because in an agricultural you know, society people would get it. That if you that if you sow sparingly and you go out and put, you know, ten little seeds in your field, that's what you're going to get. But if you go out there and start flinging seed and you sow bountifully across the field, you're not going to know what to do with it. A farmer who is generous with his seed, and he's happy to scatter it abundantly. Why is he happy to scatter it like that? Because he knows something. He knows something. He knows that if scattering abundantly, he will reap abundantly. In other words, he knows about harvesting. He knows, he believes, he has faith and wisdom to understand how these things work. And he says there will be a harvest. And even though the seed has value in itself, I could probably sell it for a little bit of money. Even though it has value in itself, to to cling to it reduces its value. But he says to sow, sow it, you know, bountifully, abundantly in the field, he says, there will be a harvest that will lead to far more than than that hoarded bag of grain ever would have, ever would have produced for him. One who sows bountifully, reaps bountifully, generosity is a prelude to harvest. And it takes wisdom and faith to let go of the seed. Now, some of you are thinking, Robert Turner, you prosperity gospel man. Right, is this is this health wealth, you know, kind of this is the kind of stuff you hear sometimes from, from that camp. This is, in fact, this is the drum they beat day in and day out in terms of where they go. And I want you to understand this, that, that um, no, you know, but, but some think that, that, that wealth and prosperity and abundance has to do with hoarding our resources, right? There are a lot of us who live that way. We think that prosperity and abundance is about you know, squirreling away and hoarding and, and we create security and we think about money in, in these ways. And I think there's, you know, it is God who said the point is this. Right? This is God speaking. That's what I say. I'm, I'm, I'm not a health and wealth teacher, but I am a Bible teacher. Right? And God says the point is this, my friend. Right? There's a way things work. Here, here's a metaphor from, from nature and you know how this works. And I'm calling you spiritually to similar kind of wisdom and in practice. God says the exact opposite from, from hoarding. He says the more we give, the more we will experience blessing and abundance. And the scripture does teach that from one end to the other. Because this is the New Testament. You know, we've seen it in the Old Testament. God's blessing attends faithfulness and generosity. You remember the book of Malachi. Most of you are familiar, have heard sermons there. I probably have preached there at one point or another. You know, in Malachi, God is accusing his people of robbing him, of ripping him off. And he says, you've been stealing from me. You know, and and God's people say, how? How have we been stealing from you? And God says, by not bringing in the full tithe. 
You know, you've been ripping me off by holding out, you know, by spending, you know, either hoarding it or spending it on yourselves and your own, and you've been ripping me off. And, and so God calls his people to get their priorities straight, you know, to, 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 to unfist their hands with their, their, their stuff, to, to see and invest into the kingdom of God and to give what is his due, what is his right to the point that to hold it back is to steal from him, right? In other words, it's his not ours, to keep it, to take it, to withhold it, to spend it somewhere else, is literally to rip God off. And God says, unfist it, hand it in, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The tithe was the first 10%. Off the top, give to the God who you know as your creator and your savior. But when he, after he says that, and he calls God's people to faithfulness, listen to what he says. Put me to the test in this. I will not open, says the Lord of hosts. Put, put the Lord of hosts to test in this. As he calls his people to tithe faithfully. And then he says, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour out down on you such a blessing until there is no more need. He says there is blessing in obedience. Just as Paul is saying here, God is saying here, there is blessing in obedience toward generosity and giving and letting go as well. And so we know from multiple places, we know that God blesses obedience. Now we know that that blessing is not always material, and this is where I will part ways with the uh, health and welfare and that kind of thing and say, I know that the blessing is not always material. And sometimes the widow gives her might. I don't know that she ended up rich because she gave the little she had. She may have died in poverty, but she was faithful, and God knew her, and she knew her God, and she was loved and blessed. And, and he says, Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth can't destroy and thieves can't break and steal, and there is real wealth to be had as we are generous here. And so he says, store up. And so I believe the widow was a wealthy woman. And that he poured out on her as she loved him in this life so sacrificially, so obviously. Because you cannot serve both God and money. And as we choose, the choice becomes obvious. Paul is writing to the church. He's writing to the church and he's encouraging the church to sow bountifully, to give abundantly. That's his point, right? He says, this is my point. And he says that God is not just concerned about the quantity of our giving. He is concerned about the quality of the motive of the heart, right? Look at verse 7, following his little metaphor. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his own heart, not reluctantly and not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Right? He's, not, he's not just concerned to turn God's people into givers, which he is. But he is concerned, right, of what kind of giver they will be. Because the law produces one kind of giver, and the gospel produces another kind of giver. And you can use law to produce givers. You know, and if the word came out, I mean, it's not hard to make rules. In fact, sometimes we love a rule. Give me a rule, and then I know what, you know, exactly what is expected of me. Give me a rule. But the gospel produces a different kind of giver. Why? Because the law produces what you see in the first half of verse 7. The law produces reluctant givers, people who 
feel compelled, under compulsion to give, right? This is what is, it's grudging, it, it drags his feet. In other words, it doesn't really want to, right? And that's why it's reluctant and under compulsion. You're making me do something I don't really want to do. The gospel produces a different kind of giver, right? The last half of verse 7, God God loves and what God produces and what God wants and what God loves and what God is, is, a, is cheerful giving. It's a whole different kind of giving. Right? It's a whole different, it's like the farmer because he, he knows there's a harvest to be had and he scatters his seed abundantly looking and knowing that there is great blessing, there is great joy, there is great goodness in such liberality. See, the law comes from the outside and it demands compliance. The gospel transforms the inside and creates something totally different. It produces joy. And joy produces a whole different kind of... See, we could do everything God asks us to do, and there's two ways to do it. One is reluctantly and grudgingly and under compulsion. And the other is to so know Him and to so love Him and to so delight in Him and to so love what He loves... The joy drives the train. That we are happy givers. That we're happy doers, happy servers. See, under compulsion, we'll give the least that we can, right? Isn't that how it works? Under compulsion, we give the least that we possibly can and still get away with it. Why? Because our heart is elsewhere. That's not where I want to be giving. That's not what I want to do with my money. So under compulsion, I'll do the least that I can do to get away with it because my heart is actually somewhere else. And that's where I really want to spend my money. That's where I really want to, you know, enjoy myself and, do, and to pour it out. I'm compelled by the government to pay taxes. My goal is to give the least that I possibly can and still get away with it legally. I'm a, I'm a legal giver, you know, but that's just it. I am compelled, and so I do it reluctantly. I do it under compulsion, not with a lot of joy. How many people find great joy doing your taxes? January, February. At the end of that horrible, painful process is I have to give them money. I don't give money back. <laughs> compelled when it comes to helping my children. You know, whether it's when they were young and providing for them and doing for them, but even now is to help them pay for their college and, you know, pay that off or providing their first car or making sure they're launched properly or when they have need, whether because of, you know, just circumstances of their own, you know, doing or whatever it is. Love digs deep. You know, I want to help them. I want them to be out of debt. I want them to be launched. I want them to be happy and successful. I want them, you know, I, I love my kids and so love digs deep. Joy goes that extra mile. It sacrifices. I want to give. In fact, I wish I had more so I could do more for my children because I love them and because it is my joy to help them. Under law, we serve under compulsion. We do what we have to, and our hearts are plagued by reluctance, but joy. Joy gives more than compulsion could ever give because the heart is engaged. Giving becomes an overflow of love and worship and what we have given and what has been promised and who we are and who we know. And it's a different thing. It's a different thing. Think of the Christmas carol. You know, I love that one you know, because really it's a story of conversion, right? And you see Scrooge throughout the beginning. And what is Scrooge? He is a reluctant giver. 
and he only gives under extreme compulsion the bare minimum that he has to give, and he, he is exacting until God changes his heart because then he has a vision of, of life. I would, I would see as a metaphor for what happens in his life is a conversion, and he gets to see life in a whole different way. And I never forget that scene where in the new morning where he's like he throws open the, the shutters and he looks out and he says, boy, what day is it? You know, and like, oh, there's still time. There's still time. You know, here's money. Go buy turkeys and bring it there. You know, this family who needs it and go, right? There's this, the heart is changed and the hand is open. You know, and, that, and the Bible says it's that way. The Bible says it is that way. God is a cheerful giver. And his people are too. And the heart is free. The hand becomes generous. God delights to give. He delights to bless. God loves a cheerful giver. When I read stuff like that, not to be manipulative, but honestly, when you read stuff like that, don't you want to be the one that God loves? Like, don't you want to put yourself into that spot? It says, this is what God loves. All right, that's where I'm going to get right there. You know, because I want to be, you know, there's that. I want to please him, and I want to know that, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. That's where I want to be. It's a good place to be. God loves it. Holy, generous, loving, cheerful. The word cheerful there, it's interesting. It says God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek, that word is heleron. It's the word that we translate into English where we get our English word hilarious from. You know, they're, they're connected. And so it's this word that means, you know, happy, joyful. You know, there's this funniness. There's this, you know, there's this hilarity. That's hilarious. You know, it just, you know, it's when you give a belly laugh kind of a thing. It, there, there, it, there's a freedom in it. There's a joy in it. There's a, you know, glad, willing, pleased, enthusiastic. Why? Because God loved this hilarious giving. Because God loves to bless. And he calls people to bless, just as we've been talking about the gospel. And it said Jesus is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And then we look at the New Testament and say, how is God going to do that? And the answer is through you and me. You are my witnesses. You are Christ's ambassadors. Right? Is it through the foolishness of what we preach that people are saved? How Jesus is building his kingdom, how is he going to do it through us? And here it is, God wants to bless and he wants to pour out, and he wants to meet need, and he wants to, you know, advance the, the work of the kingdom. And how is he going to do it? You know, there's an old saying that says, here's the good news. The good news is God has all the money and the resources he needs to accomplish all of his purposes. The bad news is it's in your pocket, right? Through us, right? We are his ambassadors, you know, in these ways as well as with the gospel itself. It is through his people he wants to bless Deuteronomy 15 there in your bulletin under the fourth point. I'm making time. Because God loves to bless, he says, you shall give to him freely, to the one who has need. And your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. He wants givers, but he doesn't just want any kind of giver. He wants givers that know him and are like him in their giving. And it shall not be grudging, right? Because for this, the Lord is going to bless you in your, all of your work and in all that you undertake. See, test me in this. I will open the floodgates of heaven. You know, the one who sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. God loves a hilarious, cheerful giver because God is a cheerful, hilarious giver. 
because Jesus is a cheerful giver. And for the joy that was set before him, he laid down his very life. He would die, you know, for the joy uh, of giving, saving, blessing, redeeming. God should love the world that he gave. God should love the world that he gave. Not begrudgingly, but willingly, hilariously, so to speak. Christ so loved the church that he gave himself up for her. The Lord Jesus himself said it's more blessed to give and to receive. Is that true? That's what those texts are trying to tell us. It is more blessed to give. To sow bountifully. There is blessing in obedience. And so spending reveals our true treasure. It is out of the abundance of the heart that our mouths speak. Right? And isn't that true? We were studying the book of James, and we were talking about the tongue last week, my small group, and we pull in, and coming in is that statement by Jesus that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. That whatever comes out of the mouth isn't, you know, oh, I'm sorry I said that. I don't know where that came from. I do. I know exactly where that came from, and so do you. We know where it comes from. It's out of the abundance. It's what's in here that comes out here. Right? I don't know why I did that. I do. Right? I know. You know, and if you don't, it's because we like to lie to ourselves. I'm much nicer than I, you know, and I know it may seem that I'm harsh and mean. It may seem like I'm that, but I'm really a much nicer guy inside. No, 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 that's what's coming out. You know, that's all that's in, my friend. And that, that's the way it works. And so he's saying, I do believe it is out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart that we give. And whatever we do flows from the abundance of the heart. You are. You are, by definition, the abundance of your heart. That's what you are. That is who you are. And out of the abundance of who you are in there is what comes out of there. What comes out of there, whether it's your mouth, the way you treat people, the way you live, the way you give, it all is a reflection and shows us what's going on in there. Right? Who we are. Piper says it this way under four. The inner essence of worship is treasuring the treasuring of God as the most infinitely valuable thing in the universe above everything else. And the outer forms of worship, what we say, what we do, and how we live, are, are the acts that show how much we truly treasure God in the secret places. So the way you worship with your money and your possessions is to get them and to use them and to lose them in ways that show how much we treasure God and not money. And Jesus says things like this all the time, right? And the whole thing, you can't, you know, store for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth, you know, because it shows. You can't serve both God and money. Joyfully and worshipfully give to God's kingdom and God's causes. It demonstrates faith and love, and it shows that the treasure of our hearts is not our money and our stuff. The God who has saved us and whose kingdom is coming and whose church is being built by his grace and power. And so giving trusts God. It's an act of faith and it says that it treasures all these things more than the world. And you can see it, right? And that's what I say. It's one thing to say, oh, I trust God and his kingdom and his promises and everything, you know, more than I trust this world. And then we, like, well, let's see. It's kind of like James, again, as we've studied in the, in the, in, 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 Faith and works, and you say, you say you love God and you treasure him more than anything else, you know, and you say it with your words, I'll show you with my deeds. And that's what James says. One says, I have faith. The other says, I have works. And he says, I'll show you my faith by what I do. I'll show you what I really treasure. 
I'll show you what I really love. I'll show you what really reigns in my heart. And so because this is true, it's really about spiritual maturity. And I think that's what Paul is pointing at as he moves into verse 8 and he gives this description of, of Christian giving. And it really is a giving description of the whole thing, right? He says, God is, make, made, made, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Right? God is able to fill you up. God is able to give you what you need. God is able to pour it out. It is God who gives us, what do you have that you've not received? Answer, nada. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Everything we have. God is able to make grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, all the times, you may abound in every good work. And in this context, it's clearly giving. That you may abound. God fills you up, and then being full and overflowing, you are able to overflow in abundance to others. And that's the way that God does it. And the Christian life is about that process, I believe, of more and more being full to all sufficiency so that in all things we are equipped for every good work as we grow in our love for Christ and we grow in our desire to obey Him and to please Him as we grow in His heart and reflecting His heart and His character and His ways as we grow to love His kingdom and His church and His work in the the world the way that He does. And as we grow in those things, it gets reflected in the priorities that we set and the way that we use the stuff of the world. Randy Elkhorn says, I've never seen a mature Christian who is not also a mature steward. Because giving is a part of growing. It's a part of godliness. You know, when I first started preaching, you would have heard a lot more times that I would almost start with an apology. I've got to talk about money today. I'm really sorry. Forgive me. You know, you know if you're visiting here today, I'm really sorry. You're going to have to hear me talk about money. You know, I just, you know and it's, it, the, the more I study scripture, the more I'm in there, the more I'm like, you know what? Jesus talked about money a lot. He thought it was a spiritual issue. He said you can't serve God and money, and these are the things that vie for lordship in our hearts. It's the fundamental human battle, and it's part of Christian maturity and growing. It's part of spirituality and how we relate to our stuff. And whether it rules over us or we rule over it, whether we you know, use it in, 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 in our own pleasure and our own security and our own stuff, or whether we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Unless we're hilarious in our giving. And perhaps this is an area that you struggle in. You've not been systematic in the past. You're not as generous as you'd like to be. Or you, I know that Lynn and I struggled with this for years. When I first entered the ministry and I had to raise my own support as a home missionary, we lived at a poverty level. And, you know, we wanted to be generous. And we saw people around us being generous. And we didn't have much. And it was a struggle to, to just make it and to give what we could. And, you know, and there was this... We understand that, I understand that, but it's passages like this that God wants to capture our hearts, to create a desire to be like the bountiful farmer. If you read this text and come away and you're not thinking, I want to be like the bountiful farmer, then then the the word of God has not had its effect on you in power the way that God wants it to. That, the, the whole thing is there. God is the bountiful farmer, and, and this is the point. This is how it works, and then he calls his people to be like him. And that's our desire, but I understand we have to deal with the realities of life. And so we have to deal with those. To be a hilarious giver, to be like God, 
It's going to perhaps take some time not to change our hearts, but to rearrange our lives in such a way that our priorities are right and uh, they're focused in the right direction. And I know for Lynn and I, we struggled with that too. You know, there was a time when I was convicted as these things that we would give a token, you know, and we're not giving as we should. We're not. And, and what I did and what I would recommend as I come today, and this is for application to say, maybe you've never given systematically in your life. You've given token here, you give token there, and you haven't really thought through. And I would encourage you to look to be systematic and regular and very deliberate about what God has given you and what he calls you to give him. And that if you can't afford to do it this way, you know, for years what I did was I was only given this much. And so every time I got a raise, I just started giving that until, and every time I got a bone, every time something came in, until I was giving what I wanted to give, and, you know, before I started serving myself again. And there are, there are ways that incrementally over years to, to move in the direction that you want to move in. But I believe it's the direction that God wants us to go. To prayerfully, and this is what I would ask, I guess, of every one of us, to prayerfully consider to increase two budgets we're sending out. We just finished the budget process. You'll get in the mail in the next couple of weeks. A, a budget summary of the general budget and a budget summary of our global outreach budget. You know, and these are the two ways. One of them, the general, we ask people to tithe into and to give off the top as God has in each heart has decided the appropriate to support that. And then the global outreach we have said, when we say, you know, we're about to give God's tithes and our offerings. We say, I think in terms of tithing, giving off the top, uh, what we owe God and offerings being the over and above. Some of us can afford to do much more. Some of us can afford to really give. And too much, to whom much is given, much is expected. And there's this, this sense sometimes God blesses to be a blessing. And so we give offering as we are able. And sometimes, anyway, we, we support the GOC, the Global Outreach Budget, as a separate commitment to give over and above what we support in the regular church. And so... I would ask you to consider two things. We'll send you out not only the two budgets, but a little worksheet. That's between you and God. I believe that, that as he says there is where we sit. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart. In other words, it's between you and God. But whatever you do, don't be reluctant. Whatever you do, don't do it under compulsion. Whatever you do, God loves, God loves you to be free and happy and joyful in what you do. So you work with your God to say, what can we do? But that's what we're asking you to do as we look at a new year, to, to ask that question, to pray through. And we're asking everyone to consider a small increase. You know, in the general budget, if, if everybody were able to give 10 or $20 a month more, it would make a huge impact when everybody does it. If everybody gave $10 a month more to the GOC, it would radically change what we're able to do through our global outreach budget. So just a modest increase. Some of you are able to do more. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. But to pray and to consider what God might have you do, but do as you decide in your own heart as a hilarious giver because God is able to make all grace abound to you and having fullness in everything all the time, he will enable you to abound in every good work by his grace and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a hilarious giver because you have saved us by your grace. Oh, that you lo loved us and the joy set before you, you died for us to redeem us and to make us your own. That you gave out of your abundance and, and you fill us with an abundance and you call us. Father, come now and fill us with your spirit and help us to just seriously and soberly think through and pray through our relationship with our stuff.
we might seek the freedom of your spirit to live in joy. For we ask and pray in Jesus.